Welcome to episode 17 of the Schaefer Creative Podcast. This is part three of my conversation with Annapolis oil painter John Ebersberger. In the previous two episodes, John introduced us to two artists who shaped his development as an artist, portrait painter Cedric Egley and colorist Henry Henschey. In this episode, John pulls these influences together and explains how they shaped his growth as an artist. How does this, uh, how does this bring it back to you? Oh, well, well, at that time I went, well, it was kind of like, um, to me, it was, it was kind of like he was passing along the torch to the room full of people that he was speaking to at Maryland Hall. And there, and there were a lot of people there in that room, <coughs> excuse me, that were, C- that were students of Cedric, and you know we were just getting going you know in our in our quote unquote careers or our sense of professionalism and you know in a couple couple years after that I started showing a gallery you know downtown and uh, I remember Lee Boynton he was he was kind of taking the lessons of the impressionist and what he had learned from Henry and using it and he was more of an illustrator drawing watercolors but that knowledge was used into what he was doing so i think we viewed it all as like yeah you know you know you know henchy was the general you know we were the soldiers and yes we were going to you know forging ahead and using that color and i think with cedric you know it's like yeah and uh you know i wanted to be uh i appreciated all that i learned from cedric and um i think it was a matter of combining the traditional approach to drawing that I had learned from Cedric with the color of Henshi. Right. It was kind of like a hybrid of those of those two elements coming together, yeah. you know. And I don't think I don't think I would have been the artist that I became if if I had, had not if I had not had the drawing and understanding of the figures developed with Cedric right. or the development of the color. Yeah, I can see that. You know, and I think both of those components are are, are are pretty, you know, and your teaching or, at least is is sort of carrying the baton of both of these guys. Well, trying, trying, trying to, you know, and there's well, you have for years. I mean, yeah, I, ha- I have for years. My well, there's, well, there's, 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 right. Oh, that's right. We all painted on, on the beach. Yeah, yeah. yeah for, I forgot about that. That we, but it's, <coughs> it's um. Because we, we have the Cape School here in Annapolis. We basically. do, we do, we do. Well, <laughs> uh, Janet Egley used to say, Annapolis is the art center of the universe, you know. <laughs> and at the time, it felt like it because we didn't have the internet. We didn't know that there were other art centers of the universe, you know, because, it, <laughs> right, there was little pockets of, yeah. there were little pockets of realism, you know, being taught because even here, you know, Annapolis was trying so hard to be Baltimore and Baltimore was trying so hard to be New York City. Because they thought, oh, all the cool people live in Baltimore, so we got to be like them. I remember the the powers that really? be at, and the powers that be at Maryland Hall. I remember them, but they were always citing School Thirty Three or whatever, some hip hip school in Baltimore or whatever, you know. And the, really? yeah, you know how it is. Everybody wants yeah. to be somebody else, or they view, oh, those are the cool guys over there, you know. But there was this little nucleus of 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 we jokingly referred to ourselves as Henchyites, you know, because we were yeah. Henchy students, you know. And um, so, uh, but anyway, but, but the interesting thing is that, you know, each, each era has its own little pockets of, of interested people. So there were like little golden eras of like at, at Maryland Hall where there'd be like really a gifted collection of students, you mm-hmm. know, studying with C- Cedric. And a lot of those guys are, 
you know, are pretty well-known portrait artists, you know, uh, now, or, you know, students that I've had are now showing in the galleries downtown or whatever. You know, I guess that's how the history of art works, right? Yeah. <laughs> one, one guy teaches it to, to someone else, you know, and then that person teaches it. But, but, it's, but usually with the visual arts, I think it's like we were talking about uh, Fred Fixler or Frank Riley. It's somebody who studied with somebody, and that person learned it from this person, and that, and that's usually how it works. It's not because you went to the Maryland frickin' Institute, you know. Right. If, it, if it is because you went to the Maryland Institute, it's because there was a guy at the Maryland Institute yes. who, studied, exactly. who studied with somebody. But <clears throat> the trouble with art schools is they give degrees. So then you have this self-kind self of referential, this... Uh, self-perpetuating system of people that just teach to get degrees and then they learn to do the art art right. speak and then they you right. know and so, so you don't really get a good art that's education not where you learn that's not where you learn how to paint you learn how to paint by studying with a painter that's a fairly capable professional painter and they are more likely to be earning a living painting you know, whether it's Cedric right. learn, earning a living because he's painting, you know, the uh, doctors at Johns Hopkins. So he, he better darn well know how to paint because he's commissioning somebody that's paying him, you know, thirty fifty thousand dollars there. You know, they want a, you know, you've got to you've got to know how to do it, you know, yeah, for sure. And I remember saying because when I was at art school, it was all about self-expression and oh, you don't want to destroy your self-expression, you know, and I remember Cedric saying, yeah, but. All right, maybe you take a little bit away from that, but at least you can do something. <laughs> so yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, but nobody, if if anybody has something valid to say in terms of self-expression, believe me, learning how to paint rep representationally is not going to kill no. the artistic no, that spirit. Is such, a, such an incredible lie in the art world. It it would be just like if somebody was learning how to play the guitar. You know, you you must know the the scales. You must be fairly accomplished at what at what you do to be able to put your idea across, no matter how you know adventuresome it is. The most right. adventuresome guitarists are those that are that are the, the finest musicians. I don't think yeah. you'd find that same uh, uh, misconception in the world of music that you would find in, in the world of art. It's a weird, aberrant thing that occurred it is. in the world of art, you know, probably about the time of the Armory show. It was, it was about, what, 1913, 1915 in New York, where all of a sudden it was a little bit, you know, you were dated if you, you were out of vogue if you were a representational painter, you know. Because I remember some of the, the Pennsylvania Impressionists, who was, you know, like Daniel Garber and Redfield and Schofield, those marvelous painters. And I remember, I remember a lot of those guys talk, talking about that, how, you know, that, it, that, that the Armory show had that impact of making mm -hmm. them seem somehow out of, out of date all of a sudden, you know. I mean, it's kind of tragic, you know, but it, but it, it and and you know, and Henchy was just a young man coming up during that time, but he had he had a really a strong streak of integrity that ran through him that um, that, that 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 had him hold the course, you know. I mean, he was a very deeply uh, uh, I wouldn't say religious man, but let's say spiritual from a painting standpoint that you felt like he was really deeply interested in the world and in, in beauty and 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 the the beauty that he saw sprang from a, a, a different dimension. He was he was not painting to make money. 
He was painting to express the beauty in the world. And it was evident in how he spoke about painting, and it was evident when you looked at the painting. You know, I remember one of this. Uh, I remember I was painting one of the little lanes up there. Who knows? Maybe I was doing a painting to make money. I don't know. I was, you know. But you know what I found out is if you if you if you strive to paint the beauty of the world, it will register with people, and that's why they want the that's why they would want the painting in the first place. It makes no it makes no sense to just chase after some, you know, trinkets for tourists. You know, it just uh, why would somebody you know do that to themselves? You know. I waste your time like that. But anyway, I was up there painting and went and I, there was another gal up there doing a pastel and she said, Oh, hence she used to come and stand behind me and make these <laughs> she said she was kinda laughing about it. She said she said he came up to her and went, Mm-hmm. I guess you think you're gonna make a lot of money with that painting, don't you? You know, like really <laughs> Wow. Yeah, you know, really, really kind of nailed it, you know, like, <laughs> wah, 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 you know, but, uh, but anyway, but that, precisely that, that, that aspect of integrity, uh, is what captivated me to, to him, you know, cause I remember when, I remember he, hearing, you know, he could, he could, he would sit there, he would critique your painting, but he would often talk about, you know, the history of painting, you know, and, and things like that. And I remember the first year I studied with him, I remember thinking, uh, wow, this guy's the real deal. I remember that phrase in my head, wow, this guy's the real, whatever the real deal was, this, uh, this was it. Mm -hmm. And I remember being instantly this sensation of being connected with the past, that he was somehow had one arm in the past and reaching it forward to me. I mean, it's it's really a remarkable thing, you know, because he was an older gentleman, but he was he was speaking about art in a way that I was not used to. It was coming from a space in his being that was not part of my world of my dad telling me I should paint ducks because ducks sold or 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 you know or that you gotta you know what I mean it was like yeah. it was, I mean I was I had been drawing characters on the Ocean City boardwalk where you had to flatter people and all that it was just a whole yeah. different uh mechanism it was like art as a way of making money you know of course you have to survive in the world but but Henchy's philosophy you know he would like dismiss that with a wave of the hand you know and he would say, I remember pulling me aside because I would go, oh, you know, Mr. Henry, I want to go, I want to study with you. Well, everybody called him Henry, actually. So I was, even though he was uh, an older guy, you know, people didn't call him Mr. Henry. They would always call him Henry. It was a very familiar kind of thing. But, but I'd go, Henry, I'd love to, to you know, uh, come study with you, you know, for like the whole summer. But I've got this character, I've got this job, you know, this character, I'm drawing characters. And he says, look, he says, if you see a pretty girl walk by, you want her, don't you? <laughs> and he says, well, if you do a beautiful painting, you will have no problem selling it. You got to learn to paint the most beautiful paintings you can. You know, so that I remember that it was a, a lesson that stuck in my head. You know, yeah. I thought, well, that's 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 interesting. Well, that's it's worth a try. You know, you know, and about this time, I was. Um, I was uh, reading a lot of uh, Buckminster Fuller's. I, re I read this Buckminster Fuller book called Critical Path, and it really had an impact on me. And um, and I started writing him letters. You know, you know, he he's the guy that that invented the geodesic 
dome. You know Epcot Center? Okay. Yeah, that big okay. dome. Yeah, right. Buckminster so, Fuller yeah. was an architect, and he was the designer of that geodesic dome at Epcot Center. This, yeah. You know, that was the world of tomorrow, you know. And uh, but so I started writing him more or less fan letters, you know. But, but I remember him saying, in one of his letters to me, you know, he basically at the end he told me he didn't say don't write him anymore, but but I was like I was like uh, I, I guess I was looking for guidance in the world. Like I wanted to achieve something great. Like what should I do? You know. And I remember this one letter he said, look. He said you look for something, in in the world that isn't being done, and do it, and the world will support you in that endeavor. He says I've been doing that for. And he, I don't know how, 80 plus years or whatever, however long he'd been alive. And he says, I've been doing that. And, and uh, I call it living on the evolutionary frontier, you know. And so I went, oh, wow, that's, you know. So at the time, in my naive little mind, I went, I know, okay. Look for something that nobody else is doing. I went, okay, most painters are painting ugly things. I will paint beautiful things. You know, and that was my like my, my naive position. Yeah. You know, and and I did, and you know I started showing down at the, the, the McBride Gallery downtown, and 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 people came in and bought the paintings. So I was like, went, oh okay, it works. You know, right? Not a lot of people paint. You know, I don't, I mean at that time in the in the field of modern art, you know, yeah, beauty. No. Yeah, they didn't talk about. I, I don't think I ever heard the word no. beauty come out of any of my instructor's no. lips at the Maryland Institute because you were supposed to express the, the despair of mankind, the, the human condition. Yeah, it was very negative. It was very negative, you know. So, you know, and that, you know I, got, I, I took heat for it. Many of my art, artsy friends were like, you know, disgusted with what are you doing? Why are you painting? You know, but anyway. Has it changed now? Oh, I think I think the whole world of art is is changed tremendously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just look around, and I, and you know, and, and who knows how the perception of things would have changed without the internet? Because you end up quote unquote friending people, you know, who who are of like mind. So you realize there's this vast network of people, and I think that there's there's a hunger and a thirst for knowledge of this kind and there's all these private ateliers springing up all over the country and um, and I've ended up teaching at several of them and you know California and down in Florida and you, you, know, you end up trying people end up networking and finding one another and uh, you know because I've studied with Henchy you know there's people have People have gotten to know him, so I've and people have ended up seeking me out sometimes because they'll go, oh, I I want to find out about color, and they'll go online and go, oh, this guy looks like he's he knows something about color because of you know, uh, so I've ended up teaching. So I think I think it's I think it's I think it's changed a lot, you know, mm. I, but I don't know about the Maryland Institute. I had a young student. Uh, so I was, I was at the Maryland Institute in the 70s. My wife, Sharon Liddick, was a student in the 80s. Nothing had changed then because she had this same, you know, issue of wanting to paint realistically and people kind of poo-pooing that and, you know, and, 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 and kind of uh, trying to get her to go in a different direction. And she has some, some outrageous stories about, you know, um, 
you know, this guy coming in, this guest critic coming in and going, these paintings tell me nothing about you. You know, she had these, but, you know, the painting upstairs I showed you of the, uh, Sharon yeah. painted the fishbowl, it's kind of interesting right. color juxtaposition. Yeah. And, and even shapes and light. Yeah, very nice, very nice painting. And the guy was like, ah, he was, he says, they tell me nothing about you. I want something to express your inner being and all this. And, and she said the next, the next was, um, was uh, the next up in the critique was this was this gal who the night before had constructed this huge paper mache vagina on the floor, and the, and the and the guest critic said, "Oh well, this well now this is marvelous. This is you know he was just extolling all these virtues on this you know this piece that was like you know Sharon was like what the heck you know because she knew the gal had just yeah. kind of constructed this thing that was just." It was just caused to, you know, create some turbulence and, you know, whatever. So anyway, so my point is that in the 1980s, you still had this absurdism that kind of, you know, was was yeah. holding rain at the at the Maryland Institute. Then flash forward to when I was teaching, teach well, I still do teach over at Maryland Hall, and I had this young uh, instructor, uh, this young student named Rick Casale, who is now a, a great sculptor and painter in his own right. And, uh, but he went to the Maryland Institute because, of course, his parents wanted him to get a degree. And he was in this class, and the instructor had um, somebody um, uh, trim his beard. And he said, Rick, come over here. I want you to gather up all the clippings. Take them home, and I want you to take it home and create something. He, he asked them to create something out of his shaved beard uh, follicles. Oh, gross, yeah. Same thing. And, 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 he, was, and he had done a, a fairly nice like, figure drawing in the class one day, and the guy wanted him to you know, cut it up into pieces and to reassemble it. And you know, just, just do this absurd stuff. You know. he, he finally just had had enough. He said, that's it, I'm out of here. He left after two years. You know? mm. and, he, and he moved into Cedric Egg he's lofty and became kind of like his apprentice for, for a few years and you know now he has his own studio in Galesville where he teaches, uh, he's really become a, a sculptor you know more than anything but, but anyway so there's, I'm giving you an instance of like yeah things have changed you know but maybe not in the quote unquote art schools the, the, the grand tragedy of art school is how, is how much money it costs so, so I just think I think that's kind of kind of tragic. Now, now I don't know, you know, if you're talking about the quote unquote hard sciences of, you know, I don't know about the illustration departments if they're still, you know, or the or everybody's what do they call it photo dig now. You know, everybody's in the, the digital graph. You know, everything yeah. takes place in the virtual world. This is a world I don't know about. However. If you're doing something in a digital format, you still have to understand proportions. You still have to understand design. You still have to understand forms and space, color harmony. All those principles don't—they don't leave you, right? You've still no, got to still got to do. It. You've still, still got to understand. You know, an image. I, you're still there's with an image. there's a great book by um, who's the guy that the lead animator of uh, Roger Rabbit. Richard, Roger, William, Richard Williams. Roger Williams. Richard. Richard Williams, and he wrote this wrote this beautiful book called the Animator Survival, Survival Kit. Kit. A great book. There's an incredible intro to that where he talks about being unable to find 
uh, trained animators. Do you, yeah. you familiar with that? Yes. Oh yeah. Where he goes and he really he really lights into art schools and he and he just and I remember I read that in my class to when Rick Caselli was getting ready yeah. to go to art school. I said, "Listen to this, Rick. Let me read you this." You know. That's my experience. That's what for you too as an no, animator. No, this is I, I try to find animators for my projects. And, like, it's very hard to and, find them. And you, because you can't find the draftsmanship, the capability. They're even to, the acting. It, when they come in out of a 3D, when they're doing 3D animation, yeah. they don't come out understanding the acting and the sense of timing. They don't have a sense of balance. They don't know how to put weight on a character, shifting weight here and there. Be, and you've got to like train them from the they ground up. In a they, sense. they all have to be trained. You have to give them drawing lessons. There's one school in Montreal that's actually doing a good job. It's the Sage View Montreal. So, so, and I, and I, you know, and I have um, high school kids come into my figure drawing class. I teach a figure drawing class one night a week, and they invariably they come into the class to acquire drawings for a portfolio. So yes. their mind is like, I'm just making drawings for a portfolio, rather than if they only knew they should really be paying. You know, right. this. I said, I, I turned to him. I said, You're not going to learn this in our school. You know, you, right. you bet, pay attention. This is really, exactly. this is really important. You know, but um, um, but but most of them do want to get involved in in animation. They love it. You know, and 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 uh, I said, man, you got to go. Now you're saying Montreal. I usually think you know California, right? Yeah. Or you got to. This one gal told me that that is it Cal Arts that that trains many of the animators. Yeah, Cal Arts and. And she said, oh, man, I don't have a chance to get in Cal Arts. She said most of the entry-level students are, are older, that they, that they kind of learn something yeah. about drawing because they... To it's get also in, very expensive. To get in, they, yeah. And, well, it's really tragic because a lot of... And Sharon, uh, uh, my wife Sharon Living is a high school art teacher, and she sees many uh, uh, kids that want to go to want to go to art school who doesn't want to be an artist you know the romance the romantic imagery of being an artist you know yeah. but what happens you know 99 out of 100 is is that then after a graduation they're working in the bar downtown to earn money to pay to pay back their their yeah, tuition well, yeah. it's sad it, yeah. that's a that's a sad tragic tragic state so and it, you know to wind back to your uh, question has it changed um, yeah, there's little pockets. I think there's a far vaster interest in it, but maybe fewer uh, 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 training opportunities, certainly within still the art school. I think it has something to do with the structure of art school in that it trains people to have a degree. What? Who cares, you know? Right. If you're, it, it, being an artist is more like being a tradesman. Right, you know, yeah. like the guild of it used to be the guild of artisans, you know, versus a, right an artist used to kind of be more like a trade, you know, and I think we need to bring back maybe a little more of that understanding. Well, especially of since it. since a lot of the, the the professors and those teaching are not tradesmen, you don't get the tradesmen in the art schools usually. That's the problem. They're they're they they have been trained to be professional teachers that train other teachers to speak the magic language of art school speak. Yeah. You know, it's a self-referential system, you yeah. know. And it's it's yeah, it's a, it's it's a damn shame, you know. But um, so what are where do kids go today? What what should they be looking for if they're going to go into art or painting or want to do what Well, you're, I think they doing? I think I think they should find a, a very capable painter or a draftsman that they admire. And, and study with them. I, I, I don't see any other way around that, you know. 
Um, a lot, anytime I go to uh, travel around to these different, like, like I say, there's these little community situations like ateliers or art groups that will, you know, hire me to come because they, you know, they want a, a, a dose of color. I think that, I think the sad thing is that it, it takes some persistence and some years of, of study, you know, and there, there's been golden periods at Maryland Hall where I've had the fortune to, I've had like some younger people that have studied with me over a length of time that they begin, that they can make it their own. Mm -hmm. You know, like Abigail McBride, who, yeah. who you know. So mm -hmm. she, she went to, you know, a lot of, lot, of, lot of youngsters, they go to school and then come back after they didn't learn anything. Then they, they yeah. got their degree or whatever, and then they come back and learn and study, you know. So I, you know, Sharon, who teaches at the public schools, often will say, hey, Go to the community college and then, you know, study with, you know, study with John, study with Cedric, you know, you got to find somebody that I used to say a long time, I said, study with an old man or study with somebody who studied with an old man, because they're the only ones that reach back to a time of greater understanding in the visual arts. Right. You know, it has to be that you, you, you have to, anything I've learned to value from the visual arts has always been from somebody that, that can point to a lineage that will take you right back to the French Academy at the turn of the century. You know, and I've studied sculpture with Steve Perkins, you know, and he studied with Walter Hancock and Leslie Posey, who studied with Alvin Palaszczuk, who studied with Grafley, you know, who did the, the, some of the statuary in Washington, D.C. You know, there's this, there's this direct lineage, you know. Henchy studied with Charles Hawthorne, who studied with William Merritt Chase, and got, yeah. <laughs> back from there. Frank Riley, you know, Dean Cornwell, yeah. you, 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 you trace, trace it back, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So there you have it. I think it's time for dinner. What's it? Yeah, I was going to say, do you think, what time is it? Look, we've been in this bubble. They probably left. They probably, probably gone. They probably, they probably left, left up there. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, John, I appreciate your time. This was fantastic. Why, why thank you very much, John. No, it's been... Next week, as promised, Disney animation legend Mike Surrey is on deck. And looking ahead, I recently had the privilege of talking with maritime oil painter John Stobart. John studied at the Royal Academy of Art in London and has made a profitable career of painting the wharfside scene in the era of horse-drawn carriages. And he has some fascinating tales to tell. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Schaefer Creative Podcast. You'll find the show notes and more information about Schaefer Creative at schaefercreative.studio. Music is by Lee Rosevere.